Welcome to the Dr. Bud Gill Podcast. I couldn't be more excited to have my man Gabe Lubin in the house, who is the founder and CEO of Cartessa Aesthetics, which is a truly unique aesthetics device. I guess, what's the word? Uh, we feel company. I think we started as a distributor, but now I would say we're a full turnkey company. Well, I would say you definitely are, man, because I've just seen you guys grow and it's been crazy. You know, I went to your, your home office here in Melville on Long Island and it was very impressive. And you just told me that you're blowing out the space and making it even bigger, which is like un- unbelievable. Uh, but the cool thing about your company is it's not a one brand company. So every device that you have, it's sort of a survey of the best devices that are available on the market. And I can tell you that, you know, we have the Modus, which is yep. the painless laser hair removal device, which I, I got, it's crazy. I it's crazy that it even works because I've had laser hair removal done multiple times and I've only been able to do one treatment because it's so painful. And I mean, your device is truly, it's like, it, it's painless, which is a game changer. And all of the devices that you guys have are really unique and special. So I'm super happy to have you here, yeah, man. And thanks, thanks so for much having me. For making the effort. Absolutely. Um, so we're obviously going to talk about Cartessa yep. and, you know, the brand that you built and the company that you built. But for me, like what's the most special part of anyone's story is how you got to where you are. You know, sure. You're in, an insanely successful guy. Thank and you. I've just seen your success grow through the years. Um, but let's just take it back, man. And let, sure. you know, I just want to know a little bit about, you know, where you grew up and yeah. you know, your upbringing and that sort of stuff. Yes. Man. Absolutely. Well, you know, I grew up in uh, Newton, Massachusetts, which is a suburb of Boston. Newton is a pretty affluent town, but I definitely was not from an affluent household. Um, We were very middle class. My dad, you know, is public school teacher, math teacher for 40 plus years. Mom was a social worker, but uh, amazing family life. Very fortunate, very blessed that I had, you know, Married parents, responsible parents, great parents gave me everything I needed, but everything I wanted, I had to work for. And I think that's a big part of what's created kind of who I am today. Newton, man. My, my roommate in college went to Newton South. Yeah, I went to Newton North. Did you? Yep. Uh, to, uh, yeah. He was a big basketball player yep. there. So that must have been some rivalry, I imagine. There, there was. There was some rivalry there, for sure. I, mean, I love the way you say that, man. Your parents gave you everything you needed, but anything that you wanted, you had to work for. And, you know, that reminds me of, you know, the way I grew up. You know, like anything that I needed, like academically or for school, it was no problem, you know, but you know, anything that I wanted, like if I wanted a fat pair of sneakers or, you know, whatever, a guitar or anything, I would have to, I would have to work for it. So what kind of jobs did you have growing up? Man, uh, my first job was I cleaned golf clubs at the local golf course All right. when I started that when I was about 10 or 11 years old. And, you know, when these guys would come in for the round of golf, I'd grab their bag, I'd bring them into the bag room, and I'd scrub them down with a, a pair of wet paper towels and put them back on the rack. But I will tell you, without a doubt, the worst job I ever had was the next summer when I was 12 years old, uh, I painted tennis courts, wow. which was without a doubt. You're the, a very good guy, man. That must Fair skin guy, not so good. <laughs> I, I also will tell you, I, dr- I drove a flower delivery truck, which at <laughs> one time I was driving in Boston and ran out of gas in the flower delivery truck in the uh, the main tunnel in Boston. Oh, no way. And had to crawl 100 yards and covered in soot and dirt and call for a tow truck. So I've definitely had uh, my fair share of interesting jobs growing up. But, you know, that was always the deal. You know, my parents always wanted me to feel committed to... You know, whether it was I wanted a car, I wanted a a phone or I wanted a TV, you know, like they 
put that stuff on me and they wanted me to work every summer and they wanted me to show them that, you know, I was committed to, you know, to making a little bit of money and contributing to the household and contributing for my education. So that was, that was an important piece to it. Yeah. But I think, yeah, that sort of brews a hustle within somebody. So let's go into like the next phase. So you, know, yep. you, you grew up in Newton. Did you go to college in the Boston area? I did. I went to Babson College, which is known it's for... It's a business school, yeah, right? It's yeah, a, it's a business school which is really known for is entrepreneurship. It's been the number one ranked school for entrepreneurship for like 15 years. Huh. So the focus is definitely on people that want to cultivate their own business. I remember my freshman year, the first class you take, you start a company. Wow. And you have to kind of figure out who's going to be the CEO, who's going to do marketing, who's going to do sales, what's our product going to be. And that's when you're like 18 years old and you're just like literally trying to figure out, wow, so this is life without parents around and I got to fight for myself and, you know, you get thrown right into it. But amazing experience. Couldn't recommend it. Did you know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? I thought I did. I thought I did. For a long time, I wanted to be a lawyer because I love to argue, I love to debate, and I love to get people to see things the way that I see things. But apparently, being a lawyer means you have to read a lot, which is not my jam. So I quickly moved on to wanting to be a business owner. But like, what? None of your parent, neither of your parents were entrepreneurs. I don't know if they had an entrepreneurial spirit, yeah. or something on the side. Like, you know what? Built yeah. that was it the summer jobs that you had. You know, I think it was part of the summer jobs, but what I'll also tell you is that you know uh, my parents definitely had financial stress when myself and my younger sister were growing up, and I believe financial stress is the worst kind of stress you can have, and definitely hampers overall enjoyment of your life. And I remember, you know, seeing them worry about money and and me worrying about money and thinking to myself, like, I'm never going to want this for my life or for my kids. And, you know, they did admirable work. I mean, public school teacher, social worker, helping people's lives, teaching, but, you know, the way that our economy works and just the way the cards fell, I mean, those aren't lucrative paying jobs. Right. So being, being an entrepreneur, it sounds glamorous and, you know, like, you know, you always think of like, you know, all that stuff you see on Instagram with entrepreneurs are just yep. basically, you know, rolling around in their fancy cars and yeah, having all their fancy stuff. But it's a hard life, man. As I mean, you know, that's like the one percent. You know, it's like you're, you know, choosing to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. There's a lot of risk that's associated with it. So I mean, I, I guess my question is, you know, you went Babson is an entrepreneurial school, but I guess in your mind, and I don't want to put words into your mouth, it was like you were more geared to it's okay, like business. Working in business is probably right the best way for me to go but did you go into school thinking that you just wanted to start your own business or you think i'm going to work for like a bank or a business or yeah when i started school i thought i wanted to be in finance i was really good at math you know dad heritage Mm -hmm. longtime math teacher and uh, i figured i wanted to wear a suit every day to work i wanted to go whether it was wall street or somewhere in boston Mm -hmm. you know to a big tall office and a big you know and make a lot of money and that was kind of the vision i had as a 17 18 year old but uh, as I progressed through my career at Babson I realized it really wasn't for me and I actually did just to kind of because what I was told is this is what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. I did take a finance job right out of college and I made it about a year and I was like this is horrible what were you doing you know? uh, I took a, a financial analysis cost accounting job in Boston where I was working for a big S&P 500 company 80 hours a week uh-huh. sleeping bag under the desk um, and just 
it just wasn't me. And I was trying to follow what my professors were saying, what everyone was saying. This, you're a smart guy. You went to a good school. Mm. You know, you graduated high in your class. This is what you're supposed to do. But it wasn't me. Right. And it took me a little bit of time to realize it wasn't me and realize that that wasn't the only path to success. I mean, years not that long, you know? No. Yeah. So, so what happened then? So I realized that I just you know, didn't want to be in finance. I wanted to be, you know, more in sales. And, you know, I toggled around with a few ideas, kicked around a couple, you know, you know, job opportunities for a few months. But ultimately I got really fortunate and I talked to a professor that said, you know, I worked with you for two years. I know you're smart. I know you're good at finance. I know you're good at accounting, but I always thought you had the right personality for sales. I think you should pursue sales. You know, and I think that some people have a ton of respect for sales mm-hmm. and there's some form of sales where people don't really have a lot of respect. And I think that's why I didn't engage in that kind of part of my brain mm-hmm. earlier. But um, I ended up starting at uh, Palomar Medical Technologies in a very, very junior sales associate role when I was about 23 years old. Wow. Uh, I picked up everything all my worldly possessions. I drove to Florida because that was where they had an opening for me. Oh, really? I packed up my piece of shit Nissan Altima, threw everything I owned in the car, drove to Florida, you know, didn't even know where I was going to live, you know, stayed at my grandparents for a couple days and then, you know, found someone on Craigslist that I moved in. Wow. And that was that was all I had. Where in Florida? Uh, so I lived on in Fort Lauderdale on A1A and Sunrise. Is that where that's where the opportunity was? Like Miami, yeah. Fort Lauderdale area? Yeah. So did you look at other sales positions? Like, you know, was it medical devices that you were specifically looking at or were you, you know, you know, it's all anything? Yeah. I mean, uh, people say sales is sales, but obviously sales are different. But for me, medical sales was always, you know, from the diligence I did, the people I networked with, informational interviewing, that's where you want to get. Like if you want the most lucrative, highest end, most competitive, but highest quality, you know, sales opportunities, it's, it's medical. So it's like the dermatology of sales. For sure. There you go. (laughs) Like, all right. So you're down in Florida, man. You're working for Palomar, living with your grandparents, find a place on Craigslist. And uh, what is it? It's like a train. Is it a training? You train first? Yeah, it was kind of like a mentor program. I did that for about a year. Had a great deal of success. Um, Were you selling like the, the, I guess it was a Starlux or something? I think it was even before that. I think it was Medilux and then changed over to Starlux 300. Okay. um, Went, you know, my first year there. Gotcha. So what year is this about? So this is like 2005, 2006. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Got it. And then in 2006, you know, I did really well. And Palomar gave me an opportunity to move up and become an area sales manager, which is kind of your senior sales rep, quota bearing rep. Um, And I relocated to Chicago, which I love. Amazing city. Chicago's awesome. It's incredible. And then, uh, you know, I was just just, sorry to cut you off. So you start out as like just a regular because this is, I think, fascinating for anyone to know who's like on my side of things. You start out as a rep. Yeah. Which is like, you know, you're basically going around to offices and saying, hey, I'm Gabe and I have this laser. Yep. Can I meet with a doctor? Which is, it's really hard. I mean, I will, you know, you know, like I will almost like never meet with a rep unless sure. I personally know them or it's a personal yep. contact. So it's very, very hard to get into the door. Yep. Most of the events I'm sure that you're throwing are very difficult to get people to come to, you they know, are. because unless someone's like really in the market for a specific device. Like I know, like, you know, you know, you're, you're busy. You have, you know, right. you have a wife, you have kids, you have work, you have all this sure. stuff. 
So it, unless it's something you're specifically looking for, you're not going to take time out of your day to, to go to an event like that. Right. And you know, I, I see it as being an incredibly hard job. So for me, I'm horrible at sales. You know, like sales is something that doesn't interest me at all. In fact, it like makes my head spin. Like when I think sure. about it. Um, and I and you're getting so many no's as a salesperson. Right. Like, I mean, I can imagine that of 20 offices that you go into, there's one doctor that's going to actually talk to you probably. Right. Is that about right? Best case. That's a good day. Yeah. Yeah. So it's tough, man. So yeah. how do you, how did you get that success? Yeah. What's different about you? Yeah. So I did a sales job once, one summer. I was like, I forget exactly what it was, but it was like summer when I was in high school and you knock on doors and you're basically trying to get, I forget what, what we were doing, but it was like something, I forget exactly what it was, yeah. but I was really bad at it. And like, they basically, it's like a pyramid system. So you start out with this like 20 kids who start yeah. and then like you get down to 15 to 10 and to like five. I was like first cut. You know, I didn't make it past the first cut because I sucked at it. Right. You know? So I, it always intrigues me. Like, what is the difference between you and someone who doesn't yeah. make it? So I think the number one thing that connects all successful salespeople, especially in those types of more junior roles where it's a heavy prospecting, cold calling job. I mean, one word, resilience. You got to be resilient, you know, not to be too cliche. You know, I know it's mm -hmm. a, a, a rocky quote, but it really is not how hard you hit. It's how hard you can get hit. And that was my secret sauce. It was a volume game. Everyone starts a sales job week one. They're ready to take over the world. And then week one, they get beaten down. And then the amount of work they put in goes down. And every week it decreases, it decreases, and it decreases until they are, quote unquote, as you would say, cut mm -hmm. or just realize this isn't for me. Mm -hmm. So it's the people that can be resilient and know that if they keep doing the right things and they keep putting in the time, long-term statistics, it will bear fruit. But keeping that drive, keeping that focus, you know, going through months where you don't make money, because these are all commission-heavy jobs. I mean, right. in our industry, in medical sales in general, your salary, if your salary makes up more than 15 to 20% of your income, you're doing something wrong. Right. Wow. So how many devices did you sell that first year? In Florida, my first year, I would say I sold about 60 devices. That's a lot, man. Which, you know, for, you it's know, like Florida. Yeah, Florida is a, a great territory. And, you know, I had a great support system around me. But that was really successful. And how much area were you covering? I was covering mostly East Florida, mostly Southeast Florida, floated a little bit, but is that like a hundred miles, fifty miles? Yeah, about a hundred fifty mile radius. Okay. Right, so you're on the you're on the road a lot. On the road a lot, yep. So you kick ass that first year. They say, all right, you know, Gabe obviously has talent as a salesperson. Yeah. And they move. You move to Chicago, and where you're, you're. Are you still selling, or are you running other reps at that point? I, so I was just selling. I started as what's called an area sales manager, which basically is you're a rep, but it means that you're the guy. You've okay. got the quota. You know, the sales are on your on your name. The quota is on your name. Whereas in Florida, I rolled up to a guy that okay. you know was one of the top sales reps in the entire industry. Gotcha. But do you still get a commission? Oh yeah, you still get a commission, but you know, you get a portion of it. And he gets a commission. Too. Correct. Okay. So now you're getting a commission for what you sell and a commission for what is sold. Under, you have reps working for you as well. So in Chicago, I ultimately hired a couple of, of junior sales reps. But for the first year and a half I was there, I was just me. It was I was covering Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Wow. Just me. So what happened there, man, when me you got there? Car. Well, it was pretty neat. You know, so my, my first full year in the territory, I actually was number two in the company. Wow. Um, and the guy in Florida was number one. But then my second year, I was actually number one rep in the company. Wow. And it was the first time that... So this is three years in. 
Yeah. So it was not even. Yeah. It was about, you know, my, my third, I would say my third full year. Yeah. So I was number one in the company and, you know, they obviously took good care of me, celebrated me at the national sales meeting. And it, it was really cool because, you know, the guy that I'd worked for in Florida had been number one for so many years. And then to, you know, to, to come out and, and, you know, Chicago, which, you know, is obviously a big city, but it's not, it's not a slam dunk for cosmetics. It's not, it's not, in my opinion, it's not as robust a market opportunity as like New York, Florida, yeah. California, right. you know, stuff like that. So, so, I mean, I, you don't have to get into like a specific here, but just because I'm curious, like yeah. what does like the, what kind of like, like bank is the number one rep for a yeah. laser company pulling in for like a year. Yeah. I don't have to give me exact. Just I'll like give you in. exact. So I remember because 2007, I was 25 years old. And I made over three hundred thousand dollars wow. that year, which for me, single guy, yeah, man, rental big. apartment in Chicago, like You're I balling. thought, I thought, I, yeah, yeah, or at least at the time, I thought, I, I thought I was balling for yeah. sure. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So then you do that for a couple of years, kicking yeah. ass in Chicago in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, I know you from New York because you know when yeah. I met you with Jason, who was amazing. Right. Um, what what did was New York the next stop? Yeah, so I was about six years in Chicago, and then in September of 2011, we had my first son Carter, my wife and I. Did you meet her in Chicago? Well, long story, but ultimately, yes, she was uh, she was getting her master's degree from Northwestern. She's a oh. speech language pathologist. She's from Long Island. Oh, really? So oh. I was from Boston. She was from Long Is Island. Is she from where you live now, like in that area, Cold Spring? Syosset. Yeah. So I remember, like, my goal was always to get back to Boston. Huge Red Sox, Patriots, yeah. Bruins, Celtics. Love There's a few Boston. of you around here. There's yeah. a few of us floating around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember my intent was always to move back to Boston. She was good with it. And then when we had my son, and she's like, we were moving to Long Island because <laughs> I was traveling a lot yeah, and I yeah. wanted to get into management. So, in you know, latter part of 2011, I went to the powers that be at Palomar. I said, look, you know, I've produced for you guys. I think you believe in what I'm doing. You know, the Northeast region was really struggling for Palomar. It had been the last place region for like eight years in a row. Really? Yeah. And I will never forget that, uh, you know, my first year as regional manager at Palomar, which was 2012, we went from the last place region to the first place region. Wow. We grew sales like 200%. And I, you know, got to work with Jason, yeah. you know, Jeff, like a lot of like really good people. And, you know, obviously they had really good people, but it was just about showing them what had kind of worked for me in Chicago, mm-hmm. you know, and then kind of putting their own twist on that. And, you know, I'm really proud of all of them. I mean, they've all went on to, you know, be super yeah. successful everywhere they've went. Do did you come to New York then as like a, like in a management? Yeah, I was like the Northeast sales director for Palomar. So I oversaw kind of Philadelphia to Boston, out to like Indiana, Ohio, Michigan and Eastern Canada. And I had a group and then I had a group of ASMs, like maybe 10 or 12 rolling directly. Up gotcha. to so, you know, Jason, Jason Patterson, who's yep. the rep that I knew for years from yep. Palomar. Was he already here when you came? Yeah, he was. So he was the New York City rep. OK. And Jason was doing well. I mean, Jason's great. He's amazing. You yeah. know, he's a great guy. But I, I, you know, I really enjoyed working with Jason and, you know, took his already really strong skill set and knowledge base. We collaborated. Gotcha. And, you know, it was, so, you know, he grew a ton. And now you see what he's doing. Yeah. You know, I mean. So when we met at Del Fresco, this was, must have been what, like... 2010, 2011, were you here yet? It was probably 2012, 2012, I would say. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so you were basically running the entire Northeast yep. for Palomar. Um, and then Palomar was bought by Sinashore, and 
you were they still had their own internal division like, yeah. like i guess palomar sanishore over palomar which yeah. was like you know part of the company and then i, I don't exactly know what happened but the company yeah. just like expl- exploded basically yeah so it was really it was really neat so 2013 sinusure acquired palomar um you know i was the only person from palomar sales management that they retained but you know i got to work directly with upper management at sinusure and really really smart guys really you know smart business guys and they gave me an even bigger opportunity to be national sales manager for the palomar division and then ultimately ended up being one of the sales directors for you know the full product line and got to work with some unbelievably talented people and you know it was nice because Palomar had a certain culture and a certain set of strengths and Sinusure had a culture and a certain set of strengths Um, and so to get exposed to both of them you know has largely kind of crafted you know who I am and taking bits and pieces of what worked well and trying to pull them all together it was what we do at Cartesa. And then what happened? At, but Sinusure just like imploded, so, you know. Yeah. Well, I. So what happened in Sinusure? You don't know the specifics of what happened uh, in Sinusure, but you know. But I think what what really happened was, um, you know, we grew Sinusure, we grew Sinusure, we grew Sinusure. Um, you know, it, it's it turned into a huge, huge business in North America. You know, and from the sales director team to the the district sales manager, I mean, we had such a strong sales force. Great marketing, great products but such a strong sales force. And then when 2017 rolled in, you know, I just, man, I needed a change. You know, I was doing about 200 overnights a year at Sinusure. I had a five-year-old and a three-year-old at home. Um, and, you know, there were obviously some whispers about Sinusure being acquired, but uh, I was the first of the core sales leadership team to, to depart. So did you leave to start Cartessa or did you just leave? I left to start Cartessa. You did. So in, when did that idea pop into your head that like, because you're, you're a young dude, man. You're 37. Yeah. Um, you had a very well-paying job. You yeah. have a family. You, know, you have two kids, your wife, your house, you know, like yeah. lots of responsibilities. Yeah. Um, and like that's an interesting point in life to take a very entrepreneurial venture. Sure. Like when you already have so much financial responsibility. Sure. And like I get, like if you have an income stream coming in, you must have stockpiled some cash while you were doing all of this, I imagine. Yeah. But it's hard to start something entrepreneurial when you're not hedging it with like an income stream coming in from like one end. Like so, when I started oh, my practice, I was getting income from reading pathology slides. It was literally going in one pocket out the other, like twice as fast. But at least I had something coming in, and I was in the same boat. I was married, had a kid at the time, um, so. That's a big risk, man. Huge risk. And I'll and I'll never forget when I first told my wife this is what I want to do. I'd had the idea for a long time. You know, I knew that, you know, at some point I would want to do my own thing because I had that kind of entrepreneurial spirit kind of burning inside me. One thing that I give Sinusure credit for is they definitely empowered their sales leadership team to treat their area and their reps as their own franchise and business. So they were great in that regards. But I knew it was only a matter of time. But I remember that, you know, 2015, 2016 were the best earning years of my career. And uh, we just built a house in Cold Spring Harbor. I had a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And I remember having the conversation sometime in November or December and telling my wife, you know, I want to split off. I want to do my own thing. And I remember, you know, the one thing she said to me that's resonated now almost three years later, which is she said, I'll bet on you. 
Wow. I'm willing to bet on you. So if you tell me you believe you can do this, then I'm all in. You have my unwavering support. That's amazing, man. Which is huge. It's huge. My wife was actually a big, played a big role in me starting my business, yeah. too. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's important. Yeah, it's huge. So what happens? So then what happens? You leave. So you, so you already already had the idea, I guess, for yeah. starting Cartessa. Did you know, like at that time, that like okay, there's like these really cool devices that are out there in the world that aren't here yet in the United States? I did. You know, I did. And did you also? think that, hey, I'm not going to marry myself to one company. Like, why not just have... Because I don't think there's very many companies like Cartessa, right? No, there really isn't. And and so, you know, what I always look for and what I believe, you know, both from schooling and just experiences, opportunity is where you see inefficiencies and there's something that you can do better than what's being done currently. And to me, I saw huge inefficiency in the way that aesthetic devices were being sold. Because you'd go into a doctor's office like yours, you have all different products. You have all different companies. You know, some companies are the, the body contouring companies. Some companies make the best tattoo removal lasers. Some of the best laser hair removal lasers. Some of the best CO2, Erbium, Diode, Alex. But they were all different companies. And if you just work for one manufacturer, you have to push all their products. They're great products. They're okay products. And they're not so good products. And when you, make, when you ask a doctor to invest that type of dough, you're accountable for that. Yeah. Even those BC products. Yeah. So my thought was, what if you didn't have to sell BC products? What if you didn't have to be at, you know, at the whim of whatever your manufacturer was building? What if you could go all around the globe and hand select the best product from each different class you wanted to be in, compile them down into one sales bag and only sell great products? Right. So that was the concept. And then I'll tell you, you know, I don't know when it changed. But when did every laser become 150 to 250 grand? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you know, I remember starting at Palomar and it's like you would sell a Starlux for 80 grand and that was considered like a great sale. And then over time, it just as more and more pump, you know, companies went public and IPO'd and sold their company. It's like prices went up and now all of a sudden you're selling products 150, 250 grand. You've got $20,000 a year service contracts. You've got consumables. And the business model just became really hard for doctors to make money. So we figured not only can we have great products, but by coming off a lot of the fat, you know, in the infrastructure of a traditional manufacturer, we can pass through a much better business model to right. the physicians and put them in a position to succeed, not fail. Right. Absolutely, man. I mean, that's, that's very well said because yeah. even my career, like 10 years that I've been in private practice, it's just insane how expensive devices have become. Yes. The service contracts are just a killer, man. Killer, man. They just totally. kill me. So, okay. So let's get back to you starting Cartessa. So you leave, you leave Santa Shore. You have this idea to start Cartessa. How long between, did you have like a restrictive covenant or anything like that? Uh, there were certain things I could and couldn't do, which, you know, we, we, which we, which we followed, okay. but, uh, kind of had a good sense of what could and couldn't be done. But, so uh, were you able to like hit the ground, like running when you left Santa well, Shore? You know, step one was you have to incorporate, you have to do all the legal paperwork, the accounting mm-hmm. stuff. And, and then it was literally, you know, 
grassroots, man, called my sister-in-law, who is a marketing guru and said, Hey, you know, we're, she was on vacation in Aruba. And I said, Hey, I'm starting a laser company. I'm going to need a website. We're going to need brochures. We're going to need catalogs. She goes, what products do you sell? I'm like, we got to figure that out too. Wow. And then I remember we picked up a few products early on. And was Cartesta the name already? So, yeah. So it was first, uh, Cariad which I don't love. I'm glad we didn't go that way. But uh, then it was Cartessa Medical. And then what New York. What does Cartessa mean? So Cartessa, I'm glad you asked. So Cartessa, the C in Cartessa is my son, Carter. The A is Allison, my wife. The R is Riley, my daughter. And Tessa is kind of the cool urban European slang for beautiful woman. Because oh. for me, you know, I was putting my eggs in this basket. This was my passion project, the similar way that this is your passion yeah. project. So I wanted it to feel personal to me. Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah. I like that. So that's the name Cartessa. And then Cartessa. What was the first name? What was the first name? Cariad. So I guess. Had the same, right. had the Carter, same first part, yeah. Allie Riley. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we ended up. What's the E-Ed? That was just the name we formed. Okay, gotcha. There was nothing really. Gotcha, okay. So much, very glad we went with Cartessa. Um, You know, and love telling the story of of how we came up with that name. But I'll never forget, um, you know, we picked up a couple of products to sell. Uh, We picked up a couple DECA products. So what was the first product that you had? Our very first product was Vivace, which is our RF microneedling product. Is that what you said? I was called Vibase. I didn't realize it was Vivace. You know, there's like 30 different ways to say it. I'm pretty sure Vivace is right, but I like Vivace. I'm into Vivace. So Vivace was our first product. We picked it up in That's February. The That's the RF microneedling. And I'll never forget uh, my first new rep training. I hired like four guys I knew that were good guys. From Sinusure? Or From, you know, Palomar, Sinusure, right. different, you know, connections I had. And new rep training took place in my basement. So how did you have money to pay these guys? Uh, so we started, we didn't have salaries to start. Really? It was commission only. Wow. It was a huge leap of faith on their part based on what they had seen me do at Sinusure at Palomar. Wow. And how would you buy the devices? Would you like get an order and then have it come yep. in? Yep. So you didn't have much overhead at the beginning. No, we were, we were, we very, very little. We were lean and mean. And, you know, I was going to say I had four guys sleeping on blow up mattresses in my basement. Wow. You know, I remember I was like new rep trainings next week. You know, I'll buy your flights. Come on in. So you and, had people come from all over the country? Yeah, mostly East Coast people. Okay. But it was started out four guys. Who were the four guys? Uh, Dave in Florida. Uh, Jeff, uh, Don, um, Dom, and I'm forgetting someone, and I apologize, but I am forgetting someone. It's okay. But, uh, yeah, so they came in, and they are like, what hotel are we staying at? I said, Hotel Lubin. Nice. <laughs> I'm like, I can't afford hotel rooms. I just walked away from my highest-paying job ever. Or, I mean, you know, but I'll get you the best blow-up mattresses Target has. Nice. So they slept in my basement, and we that literally— was fun. It was yeah. kind of fun, right? You know, so we slept in my basement. We, you know, drank good bourbon at night and, you know, shot the breeze and had fun. And I remember our first training was we were on a Skype chat with the manufacturer of Vivace that we're literally trying to show us how to use it in our basement. We're like firing it on each other. Do you have it? You have the device? Oh, it was in my basement. Do they? You, do you have to buy it, or they gave it to you? Uh, they gifted me that one. Okay. Yeah. So no one was selling this in the states at that point. They had been selling it. We're um, in that early launch phase, um, but you know, but need definitely needed some reinforcements. So we picked gotcha. it up on the East Coast, and now so we they sell an exclusive contract with you for the East Coast. Correct. And then it, it turned into based fully on what though, like your reputation in the laser yeah. business. So they knew of you. I mean, you're a big time guy in laser business. 
That's crazy. That's yeah. actually pretty crazy. So did you know the guys at DECA? You know, I, I knew them kind of, you know, I knew them from, cause obviously Sinusher sold a, a handful of DECA products oh, and I, yeah. And I'd been in the, yeah. I mean, Mona Lisa touch, smart lipo, oh. you know, smart skin are all, you know, oh, gotcha. three of, in my opinion, Sinusher's best products, but also products that are manufactured by DECA. I didn't realize that. Okay. So yeah. So got to know those guys really well over the last couple of years. Amazing, amazing group of guys, the whole LN team, DECA, Quanta, you know, they make world-class products. So it's been a amazing relationship for us to, awesome. to kind of nurture. But yeah, but I mean, it definitely was a, it was a, a very grassroots approach. So then what happens? So you have this Vivace, yeah. do the training. So we do Vivace, do the training, four reps. I remember our first full month in business was April. We sold like $800,000 in gear. That's pretty legit. Pretty legit. <laughs> month one. And, uh, you know, and everyone That's started crazy. out of the gate making some dough. And they're like, all right, there's 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 something here, you know. And then we started integrating some of the DECA products. And, you know, with time, it evolved. Then I remember July of 2017 was, was really where a lot of my relationships and really good sales guys that, you know, understandably so, were a little gun shy to make the leap saw what we were doing and then in like july all of a sudden our sales force expanded to like 15 to 20. wow same deal though no salary all no salary yeah it was commission only a bigger what is, is it a like what would entice these guys is it a bigger commission than they would have gotten in another place i think it was not only was it a much higher commission but also it was the culture that we were creating there that really was about people and about, you know, helping people grow and, you know, putting their needs first and setting them up for success and having a lot of support and really like a family organization. So what does that mean exactly, man? Because I know like culture is such an important thing. Culture's um, huge. So like, what are specifics, man? Like just setting up people to succeed. Like, what do you mean? Like, what is that? So I, I think that there are two thoughts when it comes to culture and management. I think thought one is, you know, keep business and personal separate. The best way to man manage and motivate people is based on, you know, fear, intimidation, need for performance, push, push, squeeze, squeeze. And then the other school of thought is people are going to work their hardest for people they know genuinely that that care about them care about them personally care about them professionally and I'm that latter guy, you know, and I have debates because I have colleagues in this industry and I have even, you know, friends and family that are like, you know, it's crazy that you have reps stay at your, your house. It's crazy when you're out in the field that you would go like stay with one of your guys. Like, how do you, shouldn't you be separating, you know, your personal relationships and your professional relationships? But man, I can't follow that textbook because that's not who I am. Yeah. But I also think it's been a big part of my success in people, you know, following me and coming on this kind of fun journey with me and Cartessa. Yeah, man. I love that. Yeah. You know, I have a hard time separating those things too. That's you know? so, hard. It's not yeah. easy. But I also like you. I don't really see the point in separating it, you know, because it's all the same shit at the, at the end of the day. Like, you know, I love this one phrase that someone told me is like, you know, like how you do anything is how you do everything. It's kind of like how you are with anyone is how you are with everyone. For sure. You know what I mean? It's like this, yeah. the same sort of deal. Yeah. So you got the sales force, you got, now you got like 20 guys, and this is what, you're just a few months in at this yeah, point? Yeah, we're like six months in at this point. We're selling a handful of products, and we're starting to pick up a little bit of momentum. You know, we hired a marketing person, we hired a... So what a, do they do? What does they, like, just they do like your print stuff and... Print stuff, web design stuff, promotional stuff, brochures, but you know, we didn't have the money to bring on like a full marketing team. So we were, you know, hiring consultants to do different things. We hired a company to build our website, to do our 
our first round of brochures, product catalogs and stuff like that. And you did delegate that? Yeah, we delegated all of it out. And you delegate that to your marketing person or do you have like a hands-on? So we were had a marketing person that worked with these third parties and, you know, initially, you know, until now we're at a point where we have like a really an amazing marketing team in-house, it, in-house. but it started largely delegating to third right. parties just, you know, based on cost, based and, on yeah, knowledge. And your marketing person would delegate it, the person mm-hmm. you brought on. Mm-hmm. So how hands-on are, are you with that stuff? You know, my opinion is you hire the smartest, best people around you and you let them do their thing. And as long as they're performing and doing things well, like I I don't need to control everything. I don't need to touch everything. There's certain things I like to be involved in. There's certain things I don't like to be involved in. But my feeling is if you hire really good people that you really believe in, then then you got to have faith. You got to go all in on that person and let them do their thing. I always say I would rather you ask for forgiveness than permission. I like that. I like yeah. that. That's a great phrase, man. Yeah. So how do you find people? How do you find... You know, a lot of it was, you know, through friends, through family, through networking, through, you know, my contacts in the industry. Um, what I love about our company is that I think when you look at a lot of the laser manufacturers, a lot of people from, from marketing, from sales to the internal departments, they've been in lasers forever. So one thing that I love about our company is, you know, we've got a lot of people from inside the industry, but we've got a lot of people from outside the industry. So we're, we're looking at things from a lot of fresh lenses. Mm-hmm. Our CMO didn't know anything about aesthetic lasers. You know, her background was she managed a $160 million a year marketing budget for Unilever. Wow. Ran the Dove body wash division. Oh, my God. And she had this $160 million budget. And I remember when we hired her, I told her, hey, your budget for this year is six hundred grand. She's like, well, that's a little different than 160 million. Wow, that still sounds like a lot to me. Yeah, well, I mean, and that budget has obviously gone up and up and up over time, but that was that was kind of where we started. Wow. And then, yeah, in 2017, at the end of the year, we ended up doing about 10 million dollars in revenue in nine months, which was kind of cool. Holy shit! Yeah, that's crazy. And then in uh, 2018 was our first full calendar year in business. We did close to 20 million dollars. That's amazing, man. Thank you, and I'm happy to say that 2019 we're going to end up. 35 to 40 million dollars for the year we actually this past quarter was our first quarter where we surpassed 10 million dollars in revenue for the three-month period of uh, july august september that's amazing man congratulations that's unbelievable no thank you i mean honestly i owe a lot of it to the people around me our our greatest core asset is our human capital yeah. That's really what makes us different, in my opinion. I mean, anyone I've been in touch with is is amazing. And, you know, I'm also like, and I think most of the doctors that I know, like, we're very loyal to, like, yeah. the people that we've worked with For through sure. the years. Like, you know, like, Jason, we're very loyal to you. We're very loyal to, you know, just yeah. the guys who've been good to us yeah. through the years, you know, the people that you stand by. And it's awesome when you see, like, these great things happen to the people that, yeah. you know, that you've trusted through the years. Thank and you. And, that, and, you, that, you know, and also a huge part of, you know, our recipe for success has been the physicians we work with, you know, guys like you, you know, our medical advisory board, you know, a lot of our luminaries and doctors, like, you know, one thing that amazed me when I started Cartessa was how deep my resource pool was. And I didn't even know it, Yeah, you know, from family to friends, to people I knew through network to doctors that, man, I was calling doctors and saying, Hey, I'm starting this new gig. You know, would you like to check out some of our devices? Would you like to get involved with us? You know, would you like to be a, you know, a, a luminary for us? Would you like to do some research for us? You want to play 
play with some new toys and help us evaluate. I was amazed at like the warmth and the response, you know, from the physicians out there that I had cultivated relationships with over the last 15 years. And that's been a huge part of who we are too. Yeah. I love that, man. Yeah. So how many devices do you guys have now? So now we're selling about 10 devices. Um, We sell the full suite of Qantas system products, which are really amazing technology. Technology that I think, sadly, a lot of people, a lot of physicians in the U.S. just don't know about. So what is that? Can you walk us through? So Qantas system really, really neat. So they, you know, just to give you a for example, they're based out of Milan. They build the most impressive technology I've ever seen. I mean, they use Qantas lasers to restore priceless frescas in the Vatican. They use, you know, Quanta lasers. They're on the space shuttle. They're wow. detecting pollution in Antarctica where, you know, you can't have a service tech. It's 100 degrees, right. you know, under, you know. So they they build so much amazing technology and they also have a whole aesthetic division that that has really incredible stuff. You know, they, they have one device that has an Alexandrite, a KTP, a long pulse YAG, an IPL, and, a, and an Erbium with a fractional handpiece wow. on one box. Wow. And, I, and I, honestly, in 15 years in the industry, I didn't even know that existed because it was like you sold your Alex Yag, right. then you sold your KTP Pulse die, then you sold your IPL, then you sold your CO2 Erbium. You know, their, their Pico laser, obviously, you know, Pico lasers have been a big part of this market for the last mm-hmm. five or six years. You know, Sinusure was an innovator in that space. But Quant actually makes a Pico laser that fires in picosecond, nanosecond, uh, microsecond, and millisecond. Wow. They have three actual built lasers built into the deck. So they have a, a, a 1064, 532, and 694 Ruby, but they're all true lasers. They're not like hand pieces or, or filters. So, I mean, just to have the only real three laser device that That's can fire in, in pico, nano, micro, milli. And on that box, you can also put an IPL or an erbium on it too. So it's not like you have all your eggs in the tattoo removal, skin rejuvenation right, right. bag. So it makes the ROI a lot stronger. So I just, you know, my hair was blown back by these guys. I mean, their technology, the quality of it. And you will find some quanti users, and it's like a total cult following in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But part of our goal is, is to make it much more of a, a household name because the technology is there. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, the Modus, like I said, is a game changer. Modus is great. What's, what's the Modus AY? So Modus AY, you know, a misnomer. Modus AX is the only Alex that's safe for all skin types. But we have found that there are still providers that they want to do vascular. They want to do leg veins. They want to do laser facials. They want to do some vascularity. So we do offer the Modus AY. Um, You know, Modus AX, if you just need to do hair removal and you can do pigment too, Modus AX is the way to go. But if, you know, you're used to doing leg veins and want to do laser facials with the YAG, stuff like that, then it's just another product offering. Cool, man. Well, listen, one thing I do, this is, I usually do this at the beginning, but I just, okay. I, we'll, we'll sort of end, we'll end with this one, man. Okay. Um, so you're a guy who's, you know, you, you came from very humble beginnings and now you're yeah. running like a multi-gajillion dollar company. Um, so someone who's really had tremendous success and in, in, in multiple phases of life when you're working in a more corporate environment now as an entrepreneur um to you man like what 
does success mean? Yeah, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, I've given it a lot of thought, not just, you know, now, but but over time. And I think the meaning of success has really changed for me. Um, you know, I think growing up and early in my career, success was largely dictated by that financial component. And that's really changed over time. For me now, I define success as, you know, fulfillment. And I think fulfillment, there's basically three areas of your life where there's fulfillment. It's your personal fulfillment, your professional fulfillment, and your, and your financial fulfillment. But I will tell you, I, re, I remember very distinctly when my definition of success changed. And it was back to kind of the beginning that we were talking about when I was in Chicago, 25 years old, making 300 grand a year, you know, got my first Mercedes, was living in like the top story facing Lake Michigan. And I remember visiting my best friend who was a poor med school student, got married young, just had his first kid, was living in a total dump of an apartment in, in Worcester, Massachusetts. And I remember going into his house and seeing how happy he was holding his son for the first time, seeing how happy he and his wife were and thinking to myself, this is success. What I have isn't success. This is success. You know, and remember feeling the warmth in that shitty apartment and thinking, this guy's succeeding. I'm not. Wow. So, you know, and I will tell you that also, you know, the amount of weight I've put in those three buckets of, of personal, professional and financial has really shifted over time. You know, I mean, I, I one of the things I'm, I'm happiest with in my life now is I've really, you know, recommitted to my, you know, my family, my kids. Obviously, when I was working for Sinusure and traveling 200 nights a, a a year, there's a lot of strain on that. But what's interesting is the more weight I've put in my, my, my personal fulfillment, my professional fulfillment, the financial bucket ends up feeling faster, right. which is the irony of the whole thing. It really is, man. Yeah. That's so well said. I love that. Yeah. Well, Gabe, thanks so much for your time, man. Yeah. This was awesome. I really enjoyed this great. conversation. I enjoyed getting to know you a yeah. lot better, man. It's a pleasure. And, uh, you know, we need to continue this over a beer sometime or on the golf course. There you go. Look forward to it. All right, brother. Thanks, thanks. again. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Mudgill podcast. The corresponding video can be found on YouTube, IGTV, and Facebook. Let's get it.